Welcome back to Disciples of the Single Blade Paddle. This is the Canoe Race World Podcast. I am Kevin Olson, your host, along with my co-host, Bill Mahaffey. How are we doing today, Bill? Good, Kevin. How are you doing? Glad to be here for Episode 5 of the Canoe Race World Podcast. Can't believe we're already on Episode 5, but I think we're staying strong with our commitment to do at least one a month. And uh, I think we're we're on a roll here. Yeah, t- time flies when you're having fun, man. And it's uh, it's hard to believe. Speaking of which, it's it's almost the holidays and Christmas time. Um, here we are. Uh, we're we're gonna eat the turkey for those of you that partake in turkey here in a few days, and then it's Christmas. <laughs> yep, yep. Now, now, so some of our listeners have, are probably in Canada. Now they don't do Thanksgiving in Canada, right? Yeah, I think they have a Canadian Thanksgiving, but it might be a different day. I don't think they celebrate the. You know, we need to get a we need to get a Canadian on here at some point in junction. Maybe next episode we'll get somebody uh, on here and they can clarify that. I I have a conf, uh, a confirmation of a very special guest that we'll be having uh, coming on. Uh, maybe a Sable River Canoe Marathon champion. Maybe a two time champion. Oh, I like and, it. I, I like where this is going. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so, uh, he actually, uh, we were talking about it this week. So, uh, I said, uh, maybe a little bit further into the winter months to give you guys a little, uh, dabbling. So make sure to check back regularly. Um, but yeah, so we are in the holiday season. So I thought this would be, we thought this would be a good time to kind of, you know, talk about one of the most important parts of our um our our uh sport and and that's the family aspect of it so you know we're at thanksgiving we are thankful for so many things in our life and i'm for one thankful for canoe racing but uh it's one of those things that canoe racing is a full-on family sport. So we wanted to touch on this um, at this time when we're usually spending more time with our families. Yeah, it, it, it really is, Kevin. Um, canoe racing is one of those things that you're involved with, and you see the kids at the races, and uh, a lot of them pick up a paddle, right? And here in Michigan, we've got a, a huge youth scene. Um one of my favorite events of the whole year is Mayo, you know, where, where everybody, you know, grabs a kid, puts them in a pro boat. We go out on the pond. We have fun. Um, it, it's a blast. But eventually they turn into your your youth paddlers, your fledgling paddlers, things of that nature. Um, and really for a lot of us, that's what we do it for is the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's such and that's one of those things that I don't think you see um, in really any other if any other sport is that you continually see um the same names generation after generation so if you go back to like the beginnings of canoe racing there are some like really like like almost dynasties we could call them you know oh, oh yeah, um, v- v- yeah very much so um you know, you, you look at the families, uh, the, the Bartons, the Schlemmers, the Kolkas, the Trebolds, you know, the, the Pruels, the Kelloggs. Uh, there, there's a lot going on there. 
Yeah, and then and like and over in New York, you know, you got you got little fevers, you got shavers, you know, um, you got like Phoebe Reese with you know her dad, yeah, her, her dad, kids, and her, her kids, and, yep. And, and so like it's just one of those cool things that like you know, and, and I'm a generational paddler myself, so my dad got me into it, and uh, he got started when he was a kid, and you know, and everyone he knows, they all had you know, uh, dads that got them into it. So, um, it's just one of those cool things. There's, and we're in a new, we're in a time. Okay. So like, there's a lot of them, uh, you know, there's, it's like waves of generations and I'm a new dad. And I know that there's a lot of other canoe racers out there that are new dads too. So I'm excited to see what the sport's going to bring in the next 10 to 20 years. Cause we got like, you know, you got Sean Brambrand, you got, I, I just totally. <laughs> yeah, Br- Brabant. <laughs> it's all I good. I always yeah. do that. That's my, that's my go-to. I, I butcher names. So <laughs> everybody has something. It's all right. <laughs> you know, uh, Tommy Pellerin, his, uh, I think it's his son was born days within my son. Um, you know, Phil, um, Phil Millspa. We also have, um, John Santor out here. Um, you probably don't know John Santor, Bill, but he's a big 90 guy. Um, he's gotcha. actually the seat that I uh, I took his wife's seat at the 90 because she was um, uh, very pregnant at that point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of them. So I, I'm really excited for that. And that's like bringing up this next generation. There's something that I saw on the Facebook um, the other day was Adam Stewart's essay contest. How cool yeah. of an idea is this, Bill? Yeah, what what a really awesome idea. And for for those of you that don't know Adam, like it, you're pretty hard pressed to find a nicer guy in the sport. Uh, speaking of which, Adam, I'll text you back because I know that you got some parts that I need to get off you for one of my boats. He sent me a text yesterday, and I think I was freezing out on Saginaw Bay duck hunting when he did. Um, but yeah, Boardman Boatworks is the name of his business yeah. that he's got, and they're holding an essay contest um, for, we're, we're going to change this from one to two lucky youth slash fledgling paddlers. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty easy. Write an essay, one to two pages, send it to him about canoeing and, and any aspect from watching to participating, you know, basically why you love canoeing and what your favorite part is. Um, first place is a new ZRE paddle and paddle bag. And then Kevin, I think we, uh, we up the ante and threw something in for second place, right? Yes, we did. We did one of the coveted canoe race world orange hats. Ah, those, those hats are hot and they're pretty hot. To get. So, yeah. I will, I will. I have to say I was very surprised in the giveaway post that I did. Um, I have over 50 entrance entrance um into the contest and that post has reached just we're about uh, 50 people away from reaching 5,000 people um on that post so that's a, a a pretty good a pretty good marker for the canoe race world to to get out that far so um from anyone that knows any like uh metrics of you know and I've been doing like my youtube for a while and uh, I, I can see the metrics that we have in the whole canoe race, you know, 
the whole canoe race world. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So that was a, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty pretty good reach. So I'm pretty excited for that. And we're also going to be. I talked to Adam, and uh, obviously we're going to get the the kids okay for this, but we're going to take some of those top essays and we're going to put those on canoeraceworld.com. Right. Uh, that is awesome. Make sure that your, uh, your youngster out there emails that essay to, uh, Adam at battle on the boardman at gmail.com or boardman boatworks at gmail.com. I think that's where he wants a submission. So. All right, Bill, let's, Let's let's make a little bit of move. Let's make a transition because we're in the end of 2019 and we got a bright future ahead of us. So let's talk about things that we're going to be seeing in 2020 for the marathon canoe racing scene. Let's yeah, let's start right out since we were just talking about Adam and Boardman Boatworks. Let's talk about his modified hassle design that he's coming out with. Uh, pr- pretty excited about this. Did he talk to you at all about it? Sounds like you uh, you spoke with him the other day. He did. T- I, I did talk to him about it. He said that he's doing a lot of things. I told him that I wouldn't let release this information, but I guess I uh, I guess uh, it's too exciting to to not release. So um, apparently he's doing some. Um, when we talked, he had about like five or six different modifications to the hull that um, he's doing. The main one that I can see is he's sucking in the gunnels a little bit. Um, and uh, so, so it'll be interesting to see because the Hassel is one of those boats that you don't see a lot of them now. Um, but this is one of the kind of the emerging thing that we're going to be talking about that it seems like everyone's going to be coming out with um new versions of already proven designs we should say yeah, a, a, a twist on the classics what what was old will be new once more <laughs> and uh that's you know one of those things that um again it's the generations the generations of canoe racing uh yeah um yeah. So, uh, but yeah, and, and there's there's only so much you can do inside the the three by twenty seven spec. So a lot of the designs are going to be they're going to have a lot of uh, similar characteristics. Um, and there's like it looks like what a lot of they're doing um, for these new boats is it looks like they're trying to. Um, soften some of these designs up so that maybe they're a little bit more user-friendly um and uh, uh can can uh, be taken by uh, a larger base um so maybe we can get some wider range of uh of uh canoe designs out into the into the yeah, world which yeah. i think they're yep i i i think so too right um so I guess we'll go down that road just because I'm going to play off the wider here. You know, one of the other new boats that we're looking at here in the future is the G2 Pro, the, the modified Gillies from Kissinoo Canoe Company. Um, really excited, me personally, to kind of see this one because um, I'm a Gillies guy, right? Like, that's that's my bread and butter. That's my love. Um, probably faster and other stuff, but that's just one of those boats that either you love it or you hate it. Um, 
So they have taken the stock design um, and they've modified. They've kind of went the other way. So, you know, the the stern of the hassle is probably a little bit too wide in stock configuration. I think Adam's going to work that out. The stern of the Gillies is really tight. Um, so what they've did is they've modified that and they're calling it the G2 Pro with a, with a wider stern, which will allow you more weight offset. Have you, have you seen that at all? Um, I've seen pictures on their website, so you can go onto their website and check that out. Um, it looks pretty cool. Um, there, they had on their pictures too. It's one of the things that we could talk about at another time too, but like, I'm a big man on outfitting. Um, and they have the, um, stern, uh, uh, the stern, um, drink, um, container, um, locked in with the, the stern seat. I think that's just really smart, but, um, but yeah, so it does, uh, they are, they do have some uh, pictures up on their website um of the the new g2 pro so uh yeah it looks it looks interesting it's funny you say that you don't think the gillies is that um fast bill because i was just doing some background reading on uh this because there was actually a really good article back in i don't know 15 years ago <laughs> it's uh in from 2004 canoe news there was um an article on which provo and actually uh I just posted the what is a 3x27, a.k.a. Provo racing canoe, because this came up in the social media uh, lately. Oh, yeah, too. yep, yep. And uh, um, so from this article, most of the consensus looks like Gillies is one of the fastest boats, they say, out there. Yeah, different different so, type of fast. It's, it's a long-distance yeah. fast, so it is. Yeah. Not a short distance fast. It's a long distance fast. Um, Very polarizing boat, so it is. Uh, Another boat kind of coming down the pipeline, or we may start to see a little more. um, The the Ripple Effects crew raced this thing over here in the States a few different times this year and actually raced it in the marathon. Uh, But H2O Canoe has the, the, the Pro B1. Uh, their Pro C2 design, um, and that's a really good-looking boat to me. That and there again, we're talking about twists on the classics. Um, it, it looks like a slightly modified V1 is what it looks like. Um, it'd be interesting to see kind of the the V1 Pro laid up to this design. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that's interesting. They also have on their website. Um, the Pro CM. I'm not sure what that is, but yeah, what is my that? guess would be my guess would be that would be a mixed boat. Okay. So a Pro canoe mixed. So meaning it probably has um, it built in for a larger weight um, distribution. So a bigger difference between the bow and the stern, because um, that's where. It, Back in the day, they used to have mixer boats, you know, so, you know, designed so that you could have a really, you know, you know, 70, 80 pound weight difference and be able to trim the boat really well. So that's something that I think is interesting when you look at this. Um, One of the things I I, I find is I think a lot of these designs are moving 
uh, more towards having it uh, these boats trim easier. Because that was something uh, I remember when I was a kid. I remember going out, you know, and have to sit at the on the dock and watch my dad have lines on the canoe, and it had to be perfectly trimmed. You know, it had to be trimmed just right. You know, and I, he, you I, know yeah, and I think it's like a rite of passage for any kid in the canoe world. <laughs> Where's it at now? Go back yeah. a little. Now where is it? Yeah, yeah. Go forward a little. And, and, and back in the day, like, I feel like that was like, so, you know, like important. And so, and I think it's because a lot of these boats really rode well and like, they had to be run, you know, a certain boat had to be run bow heavy, you know, certain road, certain other boats were better, you know, a little stern heavy. Um, and then you look at like. I don't know. I think a Corbin doesn't have, you can jump in a Corbin and it's not as sensitive to trim as some of these other designs are. So um, I think that's where you're seeing a, a little bit of this, this thing. Um, I think that's probably, and, and I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I don't see people sitting there adjusting trim like my dad used to back in the day. But I know I, I jump in boats, and I jump in boats with a lot of the best guys, and, and they adjust trim on the fly. We don't yeah, ever, the, you know, sit there and, and, and measure trim anymore. The, 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 the big difference, I think, at the absolute top um, is the trim. If you really look at Steve Lajoie, um, and even with – Whoever, whoever he's paddling with at that time, they're moving almost constantly. Um, they're here, they're there, they're, they're sliding around. The boat is almost always optimal for whatever the conditions are. Um, it's interesting you, you mentioned the the lines because I did the same thing with my kids when I was you know starting out. I, I'm gonna give a little shout out to Peter Heed and his book because I read his book like 18 <laughs> times from cover to cover. Um, yep. found a used <laughs> copy on Amazon and just wore that thing out. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how it used to be done is the, mm -hmm. you know, the line and where am I at? How's it look? And what, what I found is that that isn't always perfect for your moving conditions and for each individual yep. boat and really outside of the, the V, I think most of the other designs at this point like to run flat. Maybe even slightly yeah. up. Yep. And you know what's interesting too is now I'm just thinking of it too because uh, I've talked, I've had this conversation with uh, um, uh, uh, um, Mike Freeze and, and my dad. So back in the day, they didn't have sliding foot braces. And so they had sliding seats, but not foot braces. So a lot of times uh, they had to. Um, you know, figure out trim then, whereas and now everyone has sliding foot braces, so it's easier to adjust trim on the fly. Right. Because you can just, the stern guy can just scoot up a couple inches or scoot back a couple inches. Um, whereas and then, your stern guy was stuck. And actually, most of the trim adjustments were done in the bow. So, um, and actually, when me and Mike paddled, he would adjust trim in the bow 
I didn't adjust. I didn't move my stern for the whole marathon. So, um, um, but yeah, so that's, so that's something interesting to note. But, yeah. Uh, what's weird is now most of the time you hear about the, you know, the bow guy is stationary and the stern guy is moving. Well, I, I think in reality, it's probably a combination of both for optimum success. Yeah. Well, yeah, hey, uh, definitely. Um, go- when, when you're like uh, hitting a shallows, especially in like the seven year or whatnot, your bow, your bow guy can uh, f- kind of feel that. Um, I feel a little bit quicker than the stern. And if he's on his game, he can move up, uh, you know, an inch or two um, and really get the boat started. Uh, yeah, make, makes you, a big to, to really keep it popped. Big, big difference. What do, you, what do you think while we're on this topic? You know, Gene's got a, a new boat coming out, Newman Designs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What do you think about his new boat? How is that going to run? The, well, that and, and this is kind of ties back into this one of our conversations was um his previous uh pro boat said was a was too sensitive to trim so basically um one of the reasons he thinks it didn't it didn't uh catch on is it was twofold it was a little bit he was a little bit too um radical in his design uh with a slightly uh flat flat ish it's not totally flat, flat-ish section um, in the bottom mm-hmm. uh, of the hull. And uh, the other aspect is it was very sensitive to trim. And if you did not trim it right, it would it would dog down a bit. So um, that's one of the corrections that he's making to this new design um, is he's, a, he's a adjusting the volume uh, in the boat to help uh make it easier to trim and so it's then in which also means that it's going to be less uh trim sensitive so um you're more likely you don't have to be a super you know pro to you know feel the right trim and it'll still go fast for you right yeah that'll that would be big i mean uh, a user friendly from a trim aspect boat uh w- would be huge yeah it'd be yeah. absolutely huge so, hey i, I got mean, a I, I got a quick impromptu kind of trim question yeah. for you and and this yeah. came from yeah. one of our listeners um christian ecker texted me the other day and uh asked me the question do you think it's possible to properly trim a Pro C2 with the stern paddler 40 pounds heavier than the bow paddler? Um, it depends on the boat. Long and short of it. It would be, my, would, uh, be what I would say. Um, there will be boats that you will never get that trim. Um, actually should read that read that article again i can't remember which boat that they said was really good for that but they actually had a boat that was um they said was was good to do that with but basically what you're going to have to do is you know uh it's not going to be where you're normally sitting you know yeah 
your stern guy is going to be eating, uh, eating, eating cover. That that was my response. Was it depends on the boat. It's not impossible, but I think the key is remember that you have to trim each end of the boat separately. Um, so so get your bow paddler to where the bow is sitting where it needs to be, and if your stern paddler can get far enough forward in that situation. It, it theoretically could work. You can, um, yeah, I mean, but it really, t- <laughs> you'd almost actually want to push your bow guy back further, though. You know, and because you're the, the closer you can get the center of mass to the center of the boat, the more likely it will be to trim. Sure. So, makes sense. Um, you know, so the further you have the person shoved up in the bow, the harder it's going to make for your stern guy to, um, that's why I like, that's why I like evenly placed or slightly, you know, heavier bow guys to stern guys is so optimal because then you can get that bow guy shoved straight up in the, as far forward in the bow and not have an issue with trimming the boat. Right. Um, and you can get the, the stern guy back into a more, a better position where he can, you know, have a better time paddling than clinking the sides of the the boat because his knees are into the, you know, the cover. But, uh, um, why can't, I cannot think of this guy's name, but there's a, his name's Matt. I can't think of his last name, um, who paddles here in New York, um, and uh, he, like, I've seen so many videos of him, I mean, uh, uh, photos of him, like, where his, his mid-shin, he's like, his half his legs are under the cover. And I'm like, man, I just, I don't know, it's just not comfortable to, to paddle there. But but some guys can do it, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so that that's that's my take on that. So, but yeah, so it's, it's. It's it's going to be interesting to see what comes out. You know, you'll be able to try the the pro the Newman boat um, when I bring it out because I am going to my plan is bringing it out to Michigan. Okay, so, right on. Yeah, yeah good times. Uh, I, yeah, I think the big takeaway from boats two boats out there, but huh? Yeah, the big the big takeaway from boats and what what we're going to see, you know, in twenty twenty is twofold, right? Um, one. New twist on the classics, right? Um, you look at the the mod Hassel, the mod Gillies, the H two O boat. You know, in that it looks like a V one. These are boats that have won races. You know, won triple crown events, things of this nature. Um, the the Newman boat sounds awesome in that he's you know recognized what he needs to improve on, and he's working on correcting it. So that'll be pretty sweet. The, the other big takeaway, I think, on what we're going to see in boats for 2020 is that the Corbin 95 is not the be-all, end-all. That's I'm, yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there. For sure. Great design, sure. fantastic That's design, awesome. wins a lot of races. Might not be the end yep. of everything. Right, yeah. It's it's one of those things that I think a lot of uh, teams jump into it just thinking because it's the fastest boat. But I think a lot of the teams that are up in the top uh, they probably, you know, should be riding a, a Corbin because of their their weight and their skill level and um, everything like that. But I think a large, you know, a larger percentage of the population shouldn't be in a Corbin, you know. Um, mm-hmm. 
And that's, that's something that, you know, um, the more designs that are out there and the more designs that are become more acceptable, um, I think, uh, it can only be good, good for the sport. Yeah, I do. I do want to do want to make one more other thing that I want to say about the GRB boat. There's one thing that I can guarantee you about this boat that um, I can't I can't talk about Boardman or Kissanoo because I, I don't I've never seen them. But I can talk in comparison to like a, a Diller boat because um, mm-hmm. I actually just sold my Diller boat that I had from that I bought in 2015. Um, the GRB boat will be lighter and stiffer. Period. Interesting. Um, that is one thing that they do extremely well. And uh, if you had the chance to see my C1, Bill, it's not a light layup. Okay. So just a regular layup. And it weighed in at 20 pounds flat. Nice. And this thing, I don't know if you've seen like you touch on like the front part of the bow and stuff like that of uh-huh. uh, a C1, you know how it flexes a lot. Yep. You don't get that flex. Okay. You know, so, um, it's one of those things that, and, and you should see their C4, you know, and this is another thing that I, I you know, why I know that once this C2 pro comes out in his previous pro boat, like I was looking at it and there's like, no bracing or anything and it's just aluminum tubes a couple aluminum tubes and and the thing is it does not move it's very rigid and it was very it's very light um so i i'm i can tell you that that's probably the biggest thing that you're going to see out of the grb boat is it's going to be light and it's going to be stiff right Um, on but that's yeah i'm looking forward to seeing it yeah. That's because it's uh, it's an all carbon construction, so they don't do uh, layups like a carbon Kevlar layup. Sure. It's all carbon. So, but right enough about that. Let's let's move on. Yeah. Hey, so I got a I got a question, right? You know, yep. we we started off with a Christmas theme. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of need a new GPS watch. Maybe Santa could bring me one. <laughs> like, what? Let's talk, right? You're you're a gear junkie. I am a gear junkie, and that actually is a perfect segue into um, mentioning that one of my latest articles was the Paddler's Christmas wish list, and I actually have GPS watches on the wish list. So um, go to canoeraceworld.com, check it out for a good ideas for the Paddler in your life, or yeah. send it to, or send it to the person that you know you want to give them a little nudge. That's what so, I'm going to do. Hey, the paddle wife, when you listen to this, check it out <laughs> on the website. So, um, so GPS watches. So there is a lot going on in the GPS watch world. And uh, if you haven't, you know, uh, I'm a Garmin fan, so I'm going to stick by Garmin. And I, uh, Apple Watch has uh, some paddling functionality I've seen, and, and uh, um, the but the big one that I see is the Garmin Vivo Active Series. Okay. So um, the reason being is they're they're relatively cheap in the world of GPS watches, and they do what we need them to do very well. So. Um, 
I currently have the, the Garmin Vivo Active HR, which was like the first iteration of it. Okay. I've had the watch for like three years. Um, and they since came out with the Vivo Active 3, and they just released the Vivo Active 4 um, this past month or so. Now, um, the Vivo Active 4 is um, just the slightly newer iteration of the Vivo Active 3. So most people I would tend to push towards the Vivo Active 3 just because it's so darn cheap right now. It's $150. That's it. And it's a full-on GPS watch. It tracks stroke rate and um, does everything and anything that you want in a watch. So it's um, it, it has all-day monitoring of you know key vital stats and stuff like that. And uh, um, yeah, the, the the three actually looks the three looks pretty sharp too, right? If I remember right, the three oh, looks yeah. like it's a watch that you can wear like. Uh, I have a yep. I have a business career as well. Like I could wear this to a business meeting. Yep, you do. You can. You know. So it is a very use. It's just a nice, plain. You know, everyday. It's really meant for an everyday watch. Um, it's pretty sleek. It's pretty classic. The four looks exactly the same. The four is just slightly bigger, and then the four S, which is just a smaller version. So it's a little bit smaller than the three. Gotcha. So. Um, and there is a version that has music on it. That's one of the things in fo- in the four. They automatically come with music, um, but like it has like Garmin Pay, so you can pay with your watch. Um, the Vivo Active Four has a nice feature where you can send a, dist- a distress signal to one of your contacts, um, which I think is really cool for safety. Um, and that's one of the reasons why that's the kind of the watch I mind myself on. Gotcha. And, uh, and, and, um, stuff like that. So, uh, that, that's one of those things I've been looking for a thing that, you know, give to my wife so she could track me when I'm out paddling so she okay. can feel a little less, you know, uh, comfortable. But then when I saw this, I'm like, ah, you know, now she knows if I'm in trouble, I'm always going to have my watch on me. So if I can just hit something, if I'm in trouble, come right. find me. You know, and it sends you sends their, your GPS coordinates to them, so um, so that's really cool. So um, it's one of those things that it's GPS watches and headlights are two of those things that if you have if you have something that's older than three or four years old, I suggest looking into it because the technology has come so far so fast that you can get a cheap something that you wouldn't think you would be able to get in the price um that's probably in your budget that can do everything that you want it to do yeah that's i'm 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 due for the for the gps watch and and i'm a garmin guy as well but i'm running a uh, old forerunner 910 xt and it doesn't even actually function as a watch so its sole purpose in life is a is a athletic training tool right which is cool but then I look at the the I'm pretty sure it was the three the Vivo Active three and I go man wouldn't it be nice yeah. to actually have a, a watch watch you know yep um, it has had, all your has all your smart notifications all that so right. you see text messages that come on it, it you can see the weather um, yeah all that stuff yeah, it's it's all right there now talk to me about headlights what's what's new and exciting there 
So, like, headlights. So, okay, so for people that don't know, I work in the electrical industry, and I sell lights um, is one of the things I do. So uh, for people that have never heard of an LED, um, you guys are way behind the time. And uh, for those of them that have been in the industry, they have seen, okay, so like like an LED uh, tube for, like, a fluorescent fixture, okay, about – Four or five years ago, they would sell for um, thirty to fifty dollars a tube. The LED would. Now they're like four or five dollars a tube. So that's how much cheaper they can produce LEDs now. Right. And they are just a so much better light source than traditional lighting. So um, what you're gonna see, I think, more and more. Um, is bike lights at the marathon and other races like the Yukon and, and uh, Texas Water Safari where you need a, where you need a, a, a light during the night. Gotcha. Because uh, they can push out like like I'll tell you, Bill, the headlight that I got okay has a, a wireless remote control to it. It pumps out five thousand lumens, which is more yeah, than you a, light up a football field, my friend. You light up, you light up a football field. I literally had the problem that I, it was too bright, so I had it set to the lowest setting, and we couldn't get within a hundred yards of a team without them yelling at us. So, um, you, yeah, you're the guy that I probably yelled at and went, "Hey, you got to turn that thing off before I knock it off your boat." Yeah, we we had to run a second light so we could bridge the gap. And so we had a small maglite flashlight because it was so bright that we couldn't do that. But it and it at the lo- that's at the lowest setting. The lowest setting can run for 15 16 hours. Okay. So um so yeah, so that's one of those things I think you're going to see a lot of uh um coming up and I think that again, it's one of those things if you haven't you know, I see mag lights, you know, like D cell battery flashlights on the front of canoes. And I'm like, yeah, I cringe. Like, uh, don't, 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 don't do that. that. Yeah. Don't I do actually, that. I actually suggested, uh, Pam Fitzgerald, uh, came to me, uh, asking about lights for the Sable. And I suggested actually the one down from what I have. Um, and, she said it worked perfectly for her, and it's like ninety bucks. Okay, <laughs> it has See, the same same thing—a wireless remote control and uh, you know a lithium battery pack that'll last you the the whole night, you know, no problem, and uh, it weighs literally nothing. Yeah, <laughs> so. See, I'm the I'm the, I'm the opposite end of the spectrum. I uh, I'm a less light is better kind of guy. Um, yeah. Now, two two of my marathons I've did with a, a small light, the Terra Lux three Lightstar three hundred. Um, I've got, I think I've got three of them laying around the house now at this point. Um, three hundred lumens. I I just like a softly lit area. I don't need to see real far. And the other thing is, is I really like to run dark. Um, that said, uh, yeah, I'm at a little bit of an advantage in that I know the river really well, but I. Yeah. I just love that feeling going down the river in the darkness. Um, now, 
I'll have to get the light from Hewitt. The light that I used the year that I was in the bow was really nice, and it was a stronger, bigger light. Um, but I got to ask, do you think some of these really bright lights are possibly a cause of why some people are getting motion sick right now? I never even thought about that, but that you do make a good point. Um, and you know what's funny? Because, like, I'm thinking about this year coming up. I'm like, how am I going to modify mine? Because I didn't, I don't really want to get a new, I've only used it once. Right. So for one big race. So it's not even broken. Uh, yeah, so I'm thinking about doing something where I have a, like a, 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 a red filter on it so okay. I can put a, turn it into a red light. Um, once I get up on a, a team or whatnot, but um but yeah, that's interesting. That you, I, that could be. I mean, I don't know what causes motion sickness personally. Yeah, so. I have a I have a theory on that, and then my other theory is the uh, the the GPSs that some of these people are are staring at, trying to work their way down the river. Um, like I think that gives off an odd glow that plays with some people. Not everybody. Uh, yeah. But yeah, cover that screen up. That's that's my take. Just just my personal O2 yeah. probably doesn't mean anything. So yeah. Yeah. I, well that's one of those things. The the brighter you have the screen, the more it's gonna affect your night vision. So right. you you'd want your backlight on your GPS as low as possible. Um because that will affect your night vision very much so. And and you're right, a bright light will affect your night vision. So it, that's one of those things. If you have a bright light on, it's great when no one's around you. But when you shut it off, you're it's literally going you're going blind because you don't have the night your night vision isn't Yeah, there. it isn't there, right? Yeah. That's uh I, I love the, the stories about the teams, um, specifically on the Asable. Um I think it was Chris Herrick told me this story about a year when they were you know, chasing Bruce or had Bruce somewhat within eyesight as they went into nightfall. Um, and Barton got around a bend and turned the light off and they never, like never saw him again. Like he was just gone, right? Completely went dark and boom. Um, what, what an amazing thing to be able to do. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, but so there's advantages and there's disadvantages. I think that, you know, having a bright light for times, and having one that can go low enough is probably what's the sure. most important. There's also another light out on the market that I've done some research on that actually is designed like a, uh, a car headlight. So it has okay. a, what they call a cutoff line, which I think is interesting. So um, it's basically how they're using the beam pattern. Um, to their advantage, um, so light doesn't get dispersed up into the air. So okay. it's one of those things where you can use less light because it's more directed right where you want it. Gotcha. And uh, and then you could also keep it so it doesn't hit. You know, you could keep it on longer as you come up onto a team because you're not bouncing light off their paddles and everything. Uh, that makes so, sense. Yeah. But, but yeah, so that's something that's that's interesting. So. But that brings us. To, uh, let's just let's talk about this next one real quick, and then let's let's wrap this up. I got a yeah. crying kid upstairs, and <laughs> ah, I completely, <laughs> so, completely understand. So, um, 
race communications. So this is where hopefully if we haven't bored you off yet, hopefully there's still some listeners out there that are listening that maybe uh, might be able to give us some uh, ideas on this. I think race communication is going to be the next wave of technology in paddling. Um, you have it in bike racing. It's been in bike racing for decades. Um, and I just think it's something that can be so critical to a good race, especially when we're talking about these long distance races, you know, like the 70, the Sable, um, that you're going for eight to, you know, 15 hours. Um, a lot can happen in a short amount of time and you only really see your pit crew very intermittently. So if you can have something that you can communicate with them, I think that's going to be the next game changer in canoe racing. What do you think, Phil? Bill? Yeah, I think the potential is there. Um, we have some technology struggles here within the, the river valley. Um, that would have to be overcome. The, the old school way works, right? Like, but not everybody has the luxury of knowing, you know, who's standing on the side of the riverbank here or there, etc. Especially if you're not from the area. Um, so what we really have now is mass chaos that works out, right? Hey, tell my feeders at the next stop, I need this, I need that. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Um, That's, yeah. Hey, wouldn't it be nice? Bill, I got, I was in New York this year. I got a call from Dylan, uh, Dylan Kirk, who yeah. was, said, oh, Ben and Trevor tipped over. We need, <laughs> so I relayed to Ben's team that they tipped over and they needed new food and drink because they lost it all. So, like, that was one of those – and me and Ben were just having that conversation the week before, you know, like right before he went out, saying how, how cool it would be to have race communication. And we were talking about it after we were, we were just talking about why we need this. And that was, like, one of those instances where it really would have uh, been a beneficial, you know, yeah. and uh, maybe would have uh, changed the outcome of their race. Change the dynamic, yeah. Interesting. I, I don't know. It would be – is there anything out there on the market that could do this? Um, not for the Sable, um, because of your guys' dead spots with the with cell uh, service. The um, Clinton, though, I mean, I'll, I'll put it out there. I'm planning on having race communication set up in my boat um, for the Clinton, which is going to be a cell phone, a TAT, and a Bluetooth um, uh, headphone that has a, a capability that I just touch it on my ear and it calls the last person I called. So, um, so that way so, I don't have to do anything but touch my phone, my, my headphone, my ear, and I can call out or I can answer. So the other way is to have it go the other way. So you just have one that you can answer and have your people call you regularly, you know, um, I'm going to be in the C1, so I don't have to worry about calling huts or anything like that or listening to huts, but um, right. I still don't think that that's that far off when you're uh, in the I'm, C2. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you and correct you there. It's hup, 
Okay. <laughs> Hup, not hut. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's interesting. Is there good um, is there good cell service throughout the whole valley? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, for the most part. Um, so so I'm not, not it's not great, but it's a lot better than the Sobble, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I've I've often thought it'd be cool and I've looked into it a little bit. I think you could rig up a system to live stream from the bow yeah. of a race canoe the entire race. Um, it, it could be done. Um, I, I don't think you. I don't think you. The issue you'd have with like the Clinton would be the battery life. Yeah, but you can. Uh, you know a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy. You can. You can overcome that. Yeah. Um. Hmm, interesting give us something to think about anyways i think that's probably a good place to to kind of leave this um you know the problem of race communications we'll throw that out to the race fans and uh see what they think you know see if there's a way that they think it can be done or if it's if it's critical so yeah that's that's definitely uh definitely let us know uh message us on facebook or uh you know, send us an email through the website. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, Bill. Um, thanks for uh, listening, everyone. Uh, I think this is the time for us to say goodbye. And uh, until next time, guys, paddle hard. Yeah, keep the round side down. Until next time, take care. <laughs>